0: Two Sundays ago, we're, we're in, for those that are uh, visiting today or that are guests today, we're walking through the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. We're going verse by verse. Uh, we've been 25 messages. This is message number 26 or 27, I think. Um, through this book, we're going verse by verse um, through the book of Genesis, this book of beginnings, and understanding God's plan from the beginning for His creation. And a few Sundays ago, we covered 38 verses. We went through, and I see back there, Allie was here last Sunday, but baby Scotty I announced I think a couple of weeks ago, but Dad and Grandma are here, and uh, baby girl number three, and we congratulate you guys as well. That's — she three weeks old now? Is that right? Three, four weeks old. And so the church is growing. Keep it up, folks, all right? Let's keep having — and, uh, and uh, anybody want to volunteer to be next, have the next baby? If no one will do it, I'll I'll do it. All right, babe. That'll be us. Baby number six right there. And uh, my wife says that we don't believe in divorce, but that might uh, push us toward that end. She's not excited about baby number six. What was I talking about? Oh, we covered 38 verses in Genesis 19 during our service a couple weeks ago. This morning, we're only going to cover one verse. So we went 38 verses a couple weeks ago, today we're going to look at one verse. Now we'll see some other verses from other passages, but we're only going to, we're only going to make our way some weeks. We make it through an entire chapter. Today, in Genesis, uh, we're going to make it through one verse. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis 21. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. I always encourage folks to follow along. Normally because we're, we're covering a lot of verses and you're going to see it, today we're not really covering a lot of verses, but I still encourage you to follow along. If you're like me, I enjoy underlying things in my Bible and making notes, and, and when I hear preaching I'll often make notes in the margin and remind me as I'm reading back through that passage things I had learned while I was there. We're going to be in Genesis chapter number 21 as we continue our study, and we're going to see some beautiful truth from one or two phrases in this passage, and, and build a few thoughts off of it. Today is a little more — every message is, is a little different as you come to different things in God's Word. Sometimes it's really practical, other times it's really doctrinal. Sometimes it's kind of a foundational um, teaching where you're just kind of establishing a truth in your life. And I, I feel like today is a little bit of all of that, establishing some things in our hearts that, that we need to be firm in in our lives, and in this passage, as we've been studying through, in chapters 12, I think 13, 15, 17, and 18, we saw God making a promise, and really a couple different promises, but they all went together, what we call the Abrahamic covenant, a promise to Abraham to give him a miraculous son, to make of him a great nation, and through that promised son. He would bring, eventually, His own Son, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, through that bloodline generations later. And so we've been seeing in Genesis the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, so now we have sin has entered into this world because of our uh, Adam and Eve's sinful choices, and because of that the curse that came from sin, and then the rest of Genesis when you get past that is really God talking about and, and, and unfurling and presenting His redemption plan to make the world right, to bring the Savior that we would need for our, the solution for our sins. And and so we've been seeing God make this promise to Abraham and repeat it several times in several chapters, and we've seen where at one point Abraham laughed about it, like, yeah, right. Abraham, by the way, when the the, uh, promise was first made was in his mid-80s, mid-to-late-80s. Sarah was in her mid-to-late-70s talking about having another baby, right? And mid-to-late-80s and mid-to-late-70s promised a baby. And and then it didn't happen for a little while, and the promise they had been given seemed like it wasn't true. Not only did it seem like it wouldn't come, it seemed humanly impossible that God, as we just talked about, could restore, could could renew, could give new life, could revive in that way. And so we saw where Sarah doubted God, and Abraham laughed and doubted, and Sarah laughed and doubted, and they took matters into their own hands, And they did have a child, but not through Sarah as God had promised, but through Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, and that child was born Ishmael, and that child, they had that child in their home for over a decade, and still no child that God had promised. And we see where God keeps reminding him, I told you this was true, I promised you this was true, and we come to Genesis chapter number 21. Last week, the last two weeks, we saw the realities of sin as Abraham lied. Today we come to Genesis 21. If you have your Bibles, would you read verse number 1 aloud with me? Genesis chapter number one, 21, verse number 1. Would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Verse 2 tells us that Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him a year before in Genesis 20. God had told him, I'm going to come and and I'm going to open Sarah's womb, and a year from now you'll have a baby. He made that promise. in two phrases as I studied this entire—there's the new baby right there, Allie, we just talked about you, and baby Scotty there just came into service. Uh, the, the, and and I, as I read this, and I study, and I, I usually study a couple of chapters ahead, and I'm reading commentaries and praying through passages, and I thought we would cover the bulk of this chapter, but I couldn't get away from two phrases in verse number one. Do you see them there? Genesis 21, verse number one, the Bible says, and the Lord visited Sarah, what are the next four words, ch- church? As he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah the next four words, as he had spoken, as he had said and as he had spoken. I want to bring you a message this morning that I've titled, You Can Trust His Word. You can trust his word. As he had said. And as he had spoken, when it seemed to be no way in Abraham and Sarah's life, God's word was true. His promises were kept. His prophecies were fulfilled. His redemption plan was unfurled. In this single verse, all of that happens. God's word comes true in spite of what seemed impossible human limitations. It didn't seem—it didn't seem feasible. At age 90 for Sarah and at age 100 for Abraham, God kept his word. This morning's message, I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you. For some, this will be an encouragement because you've been struggling. For others, this might be a challenge to get you to change your thinking because you, you maybe are combative toward the promises of God. I don't know how God will use this message, but it's the same for all of us. You can trust His Word. We live in a day where we don't know what, what or who to trust, don't we? At times, we can't trust politicians. We can't trust experts. What they tell us one year changes the next year. Sometimes we can't trust family. Sadly, there are times when we can't even trust pastors. Culture is a constantly moving target with ever-changing definitions. In this generation, we are changing what the definition of a man is and what a woman is, what marriage is, what success is, what truth is. Who can we trust and what can we trust? And I'm here to tell you this morning that you can trust His Word. Thousands of years ago, they did not have a written copy when this was, when this was happening in Abraham and Sarah's life, they did not have a written copy of God's Word. They were living the stuff that we read. They didn't have a Bible to hold, but they still had God speaking to them. Through general revelation, through specific revelation, God speaking to them. And in these times, we have seen where God would meet them directly and would speak to them. And at other times, God would speak to them through visions, and He would speak to them through dreams, and He would speak to them through burning bushes, and He would speak to them through donkeys, and He would speak to them through prophets and through preachers, and He would speak to them through all different different ways. God would speak to His people. He would get His message to His people throughout Scripture, God met and talked personally with men like Abraham and Adam, Moses, prophets like Elijah and Jeremiah and Isaiah, they not have the Bible that we hold in our hands. He, he personally appeared to men like Enoch and Paul and Peter. All of this was before the canon of Scripture was completed. And you say, I, I've never personally met God face to face and talked with Him in, in human form, or in a, in, in a flesh, or a created form, if you will. I've never walked with Jesus on this earth in human form. I've not done that. I, I've never—and may, may I say, by the way, neither have I. And you know why, and, and as I study the Bible and what I believe, why there, there is not that continuing revelation? Because God has given us everything that we need for this life in His Word. God has spoken, and the canon has been closed. We have everything that we need in His Word, and you can trust His Word. So how does God speak today? I'm looking for some experience, I'm looking for some vision, I'm looking for some dream, I'm looking for some spooky mystical thing. No, how does God speak to you and to me today? He speaks through His Word. You say, Pastor, what advice would you give me if I wanted to hear God speak today? I would say, read the Bible. But I want to hear God speak out loud, Pastor, then read the Bible out loud. (laughs) But I had a dream where God gave me a special vision. No, you ate pizza too late before you went to bed last night. God has given us his word, you can trust his word. Here's how Peter said it in 2 Peter chapter number 1, he said, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that have called us to, to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Do you see it at the beginning? He has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And what does he say in Second Peter? They, they are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that we be partakers of the divine nature. You say, well, Pastor Ryan, how do you know that's talking about the Bible? What does that talking about there? Well, as you read farther, we won't read the whole chapter, but as you read farther down in this chapter, Peter, he expands on it. He says, and later on in the chapter, "Yea, I think it meets as long as I am in this tabernacle, as long as I'm alive, he's saying, in in this body to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. What am I trying to remind you? Knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, I'm going to die soon. Even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, moreover I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance." What things? for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. It's not just some great crafted stories. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it and we've shared with you what he taught us. And for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount, so he says, we've been teaching you all these important things that I want you to remember, and what did we teach you? We taught you everything we saw with our own eyes. I walked with him. I saw him feed the 5,000. I saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. I saw—I I walked on water to him. This is who's writing it. I watched him as I cut the ear off in the garden, because I was mad at that guy for trying to take my Savior, and I watched him heal that guy's ear, and I watched him as he looked at me when I when I denied him the third time, and I ran away, and I was there in the boat when I jumped out when he called me back to the shore, and he said, lovest thou me? He said, I saw it all, guys. I walked with him daily for three years. That's That's what I want you to remember. But then he says something. He said, but we have also a more sure word of prophecy. You have something better than my eyewitness accounts? You have something better, it's a more sure word of prophecy, he says, where unto you do well that you take heed, if you'll listen to it, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. I don't have some access to some hidden answer book, answer key, because I'm a pastor when I read the Bible that you can't have, it's of no private. I don't get to come up and say, well, this is what God really meant. No, he told us what he really meant. It's not a private interpretation. Look what he says. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What is he saying? He's saying, yes, it's good that you've learned from me. Yes, it's good that you've heard my stories. But we have a more sure word of prophecy, and it's not man's wisdom, and it's not man's words. It's God's wisdom, and it's God's words. You can trust his word." A few thoughts I want to make clear to us this morning about God's Word. Number one, God's Word is inspired. God's word is inspired. Second Timothy chapter number three, the first half of verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration is the only time that Greek word is used anywhere in scripture. It's, it's a compound word made of two words, Theo, which means God, and Eustos, which means breathed. God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration, the very breath of God, the very words of God. It's the only time that that word is used in all of scripture. Similarly, what did God do when he created man? He breathed into him the breath of life. We are made in the image of God. Here, God's word, and this is where the opponents of God's word, well, those are, it's just good stories, well, it's moral teachings, well, it's, it's good literature, well, it's interesting verbiage, it's kind of a, a unique book. No, it is God's word. It's inspired. Literally the breath or words of God, when we read the the Bible we are not reading the words of Moses or the words of Paul or the words of Luke, we are reading the very words of God. Yes, He used human instruments to pen those words, and aren't you glad that God uses human instruments like you and me to help accomplish His work? But it's still His work. You'll hear me often, I'll try not to say, the author of the book of Acts is Luke. I'll try to say the writer of the book of Acts. Now if somebody says that, I'm not against them, the author is God. Of every book, all 66 books, the, 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 the writers were human penmen, human instruments under the inspiration of God. Just as Sarah found out in Genesis 21, verse number one, when God did as he had said, when he visited her, as he had spoken, just as she found out in that verse that she could trust God's word when it seemed impossible and absolutely insane to do so, you and I can trust God's word. It's not a book of fables, it's not a book of ancient history, it's not a great piece of literature, it is the Word of God, and when we open the Bible, we open the very heart and mind of God. These are not man's ideas, these are God's words, and you can trust His Word. Just as, now what Sarah had was not the Bible, but they were God's words, it was God's promises. Just as she could trust the very words of God to her and Abraham, God has never lied and He will never lie. Not only is God's Word inspired, number two, I'd like to encourage you that God's Word is incredible. It's incredible. God divinely inspired his word, and he has miraculously preserved it through millennia just as he promised that he would in Matthew 24 when Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The fact that you and I hold a completed copy of God's word in our native language of English is nothing short of a divine miracle. It's a divine miracle, the preservation of Scripture, that God inspired His Word when when God breathed those words, and that He has preserved it through millennia, back for a couple of thousand years when there was no such thing as a printing press, there wasn't a photocopier, there wasn't a scanner, and somehow He miraculously for thousands of years preserved His Word. Unlike any other piece of uh, literature throughout history, it's a really, if you've ever been to Israel and seen the Dead Sea Scrolls and those things, it's an amazing coincidence that somehow this book has been preserved with everybody that has tried to get rid of it throughout history. Think about this. The Bible consists of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. There are books of poetry and books of history, books of prophecy, books of biography, if you will, or narrative, letters. There are all kinds of different genres of books, but it consists of 66 books written over the course of 1,500 years. Think about trying to put together a book that was written over the course of 1,500 years. Like how long America's been a nation? What would the math on that be? Like seven times of that? Seven histories of America? That's when it started getting written to when it ended getting written? Think about this, how incredible it is, it's, it's 66 books written over the course of 1500 years by more than 40 authors, I don't know about you, I have a hard time getting 40 people to agree with each other, especially over the course of 1500 years, in three different languages on three different continents, telling one cohesive story without a single error or contradiction. That's incredible. There is no explanation of that other than God is amazing. And he wanted us to have his word. We can't even get medical journals or scientific writings to agree among a few experts in the same country over the course of 15 or 20 or 30 years, let alone three languages, three continents, 40 di- plus about 44 different authors, 1,500 years, all one cohesive story that points to each other, prophecies that were fulfilled centuries later. History that was found today, literally in the last five years, archaeology that opens it up and they find things that that had been doubted because they couldn't find it. They found in the last decade and said, that is exactly what the Bible said and how it was recorded 3,000 years ago. God's Word is incredible. It has withstood every attack and effort to minimize it, eradicate it, and disprove it. You can trust His Word. In the year 303, Diocletian ordered the destruction of all Scriptures throughout the Roman Empire. During the Middle Ages in 920, Christians were forbidden to read it by John the 10th. Pope Innocent III banned the reading of the Bible by laypeople in 1199. In 1234, the Spanish bishops, according to a decree of King James I of Aragon, declared that it was forbidden to anyone to own a translation of the Bible. But every, if you had a copy, it had to be burned within eight days, or you were labeled a heretic. Following the first translation of the Bible into English by John Wycliffe in 1383, his teachings were rejected by Oxford University and the church. In response to his translation, Archbishop uh, Thomas arundel I don't know if that has anything to do with Frozen or not — but Thomas of Arundel decreed that no one in the future will translate any text of Scripture into English. 1383, we're never going to allow any more Scripture into English. In 1401, Parliament passed a law to censor the Wycliffe Bible. In 1415, he was proclaimed a heretic. He was called the forerunner and disciple of Antichrist for translating Scripture to English so that people could read it. This was by religious people. There have been opponents within and without the church throughout history trying to eliminate Scripture. In 1497, the Spanish Inquisition, instituted by Isabella I and her husband Ferdinand II, ordered the destruction of all Hebrew books and every vernacular translation of the Bible. William Tyndale, who translated the next English version of the Bible, was sentenced to death because of his translation work. He was strangled in 1536 near Brussels and then burned. Even as late as the 20th century in Nazi Germany, countless Bibles, truckloads, tons of Bibles were confiscated and burned. At different times, Bibles have been banned, censored, or restricted in some way in countries like Russia, China, the former Soviet Union, Taiwan, Islamic states like Afghanistan and Libya. It is illegal right now to own a Bible in Somalia. Even in our beloved land of America in 1962, the Supreme Court said that public school teachers could not lead teacher-led prayer or display a Bible prominently on their desk. They could keep it in a drawer for their own reading at break time. Throughout history, man has tried to squash the Bible, to censor the Bible, to eradicate the Bible, to get rid of the Bible, to have every copy they could burn, to outlaw the Bible. There are far more historical efforts to eliminate the Bible than I could recount. Are you starting to understand what a miracle biblical inspiration and preservation really is? So many different people in so many different centuries in so many different countries have sought to eradicate Scripture, and yet it thrives and flourishes. Church, God's Word is incredible. Don't get over the gift and the wonder that it is to hold a copy of God's divinely inspired, divinely preserved gift of God that holds all that we need that pertains to truth and godliness, life and godliness. Don't get over what it is that God has preserved His Word for you and me to read today. It's a miracle, and you can trust His Word. I've been in countries where, and I've seen videos where they don't have access to the Bible as we do, and, and they get a little portion of it, and they cherish it, and we have an abundance of it, and we throw it in the corner there, and we leave it over there, and it collects dust on that shelf, and we never open it. Number three, you can trust His Word. Not only is it inspired, not only is it incredible, but number three, it's immune to our doubts. It's immune to our doubts. Verse 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. It didn't matter that she didn't believe his word. God was still going to do his work. It didn't matter that Sarah and Abraham thought they had to fix it for God. It didn't matter that they thought they had to figure it out for God. He was going to do his work in his way at his time. It's immune to our doubts. Even in spite of their faithless actions, God still kept His promises. Sometimes, as Christians, we look around at society and culture, and, and we get a little fearful sometimes, which we should not, and that God is not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Don't allow yourself to get all cut up, with what's happening now, and that law got passed in this state, and that, and this, and that, and that corruption in this government. I'm not saying don't pray for our leaders. I'm not saying don't be salt and light in the political arena. I'm not saying don't vote according to biblical principles. What I am saying is God's word, and God's work, and God's promises are not bound by By any nation, by any leader, by any government, Christians, we live in victory. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. You can trust His Word. It's immune to our doubts. Your doubts do not discredit God's Word. Your cynicism does not weaken the power of God's promises. Your scoffing does nothing to diminish Scripture. Not only is it immune to our doubts, number four, it is impactful. There is power in the Word of God. Second Timothy, the rest of that verse, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. That means complete, truly, all the way through, furnished unto all good good works, God has given us all that we need for every role and relationship in our life in the truths of His Word. It's impactful. It's, it's given for doctrine, and reproof, and correction, and instruction and in righteousness. I heard one pastor say, God's Word, it's given for doctrine, that's, that's to teach you what is right. And reproof, that's to teach you what isn't right, and correction, how to get it right, and instruction and in righteousness, how to keep it right. That's God's Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration, and it's profitable to tell you what is right, what isn't right, how to get it right, and how to keep it right. Will you let it change your life? Want to know how to live? It has everything we need. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, to the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word has great power, but it has no power if we don't ever open it up to read it, if we don't ever listen to the preaching of it, if we don't ever let it change us, if we don't ever humble ourselves before it, it has no power in our lives. Now, it still has power, but we choose to limit the power in our lives. Are you letting God's Word change you? I watched in my family over the last three decades as God's Word completely changed our home and our beliefs in our direction, in our priorities, in our schedules, in our budget, in our our emphasis in our lives, God's Word. And yes, He used human instruments, and yes, He used a pastor and other pastors, and yes, He used Sunday school teachers, and yes, He used churches and services, but those are all instruments that are just conduits for God to do the work. You've heard me often say when I get ready to preach. I'll say, there's a, a Bible in the rack in front of you, and I encourage you to follow along. Here's what I'll say. I'll say, because if there is any lasting power in anything that I say today, we have a baseball rolling down the aisle here. Who lost their baseball? All the way back there. There we go. Oh, I missed it. Somebody get that back there to the back row. Rolling all the way back. never know what's going to happen in church. If there is, uh, if there is any lasting If there is any lasting power in anything that I say today, it's not in my wisdom, it's not in my opinions, it's not in my sense of humor, it's not in my preferences or my traditions or my upbringing. If there is any power to change a heart and to change a life, the power is found in the Word of God. It's impactful. Number five, and I'm almost done, it's infallible and inerrant. It's infallible and inerrant. Infallible means it cannot fail, inerrant means it has no error. It cannot fail and it has no error. Simply put, both are true. The Bible is wholly true in all that it affirms, as the psalmist so beautifully said, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. It is inerrant and it is infallible, and lastly, it is inescapable. You can try to ignore it. You can try to discredit it. You can doubt it, you can disagree with me, you can deny it, you can mock it, but you cannot hide from the realities found in it. The Bible says that, by the way, Jesus, called the living Word, the Word became flesh. Jesus, that living Word, the Bible says that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. There's coming a day when all of us, we will bow either in worship and submission or we will bow in judgment. There is coming a day for all of us, we cannot escape the realities of Scripture. We can again try to discredit, we can listen to brilliant atheists that that try to cast doubt upon it, and we can do all of those things, but the truth of God's Word is inescapable. The realities found in it are realities that we cannot get away with. By saying we don't believe it does not mean that we will not face them. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So where do you find yourself this morning? Are you a skeptic? If you are, let me say this, thanks for coming today, seriously, I love that. The Bible's not afraid of your questions. Truth is not afraid of a challenge. The Bible's not afraid of skepticism. The Bible can change the heart of anybody. Keep coming. Keep asking those questions. I love it. I don't know if Betsy's here today or not. Betsy, are you in here? Betsy or her husband Jay, one of, the, uh, one of the most encouraging men in my pastorate these last seven years. He's now in heaven. Jay became a Bible scholar, a man that read his Bible in the Greek New Testament every morning. He taught. He, he, had, he knew three or four different languages. He was a, an amazing theologian. And he said the way that he got saved, he was a young military man in the, in the army, or one of the armed forces. And he was there, and his roommate. His roommate said, hey, and his roommate was a Christian, he began to witness to him, and Jay said, no, no, I'm going to stop you right there. I have questions you can't answer. No, but I want to talk to you about what God's done in my life, but I have questions you can't answer. Don't waste your breath. That was Jay. And he said, well, try me. Let's let's talk. What's your question? And he said he sat across, as I think Betsy was here, 19, 20, 21-year-old man, he sat across from a friend, a roommate, and he said, and he gave him the first question. And the man didn't say, well, I think, well, my pastor taught, well, my church says. The man opened to a copy of a page of scripture and put it back across the table and said, there's the answer to that one. What's next? And he asked him another one. Here's the answer. Here's the answer. And he said, eventually I got to the place that I believed God's word was true. And if God's word was true, then I had to change my life. I had to accept Christ as my savior. I had to make these decisions. If you're a skeptic. The Bible's not afraid of your question. Study it. Dig into it. Ask any question you want, and then listen to the answer. Do you find yourself here? You're not a skeptic, but you're doubting God's promises like Abraham and Sarah did. Because the reality of your current circumstances seem to make this impossible. The reality of what you're walking through seem to make some of these promises impossible. I'm here to encourage you from Genesis 21.1, as he had said, And as he had spoken, you can trust his word. By the way, you're not the first to doubt. Thomas doubted. Peter doubted. At times, almost everybody that followed him, Gideon doubted. Joshua doubted. You look at almost any, there were times, there were seasons of doubt. If you're doubting, the answer is, get back in his word. Have you grown cold and complacent in your relationship with the Word? It's gathering dust on your shelf somewhere. Recommit this morning to reading it, memorizing it, studying it, and applying it. Are you just here? You're not really a skeptic, and you're not really a believer. You're just kind of ignorant. I don't mean that in a, in a condescending way. I mean in things of the Bible. Like, you're just, it's just stuff you don't know. You've never, you've never taken the time. I think we were talking, Scott, in your testimony about eight years ago when God began, you said, I really just had very little Bible knowledge when, when I began to start learning and reading. And so when I say ignorant, I don't mean you're, you're, you're dumb or you're stupid, just it's not been something you've given your life to. Are you here this morning and there's just an ignorance or just a lack of knowledge, I guess that's a nicer way to say it, about the truths of Scripture. You don't have faith in it, not because you're against it, you just don't fully understand it. That's okay. Keep coming keep reading, keep learning, keep asking questions. Send me an email. I'd love to meet with you. I'd love to sit down. Let's get coffee and let's talk through your questions, your doubts, your concerns. Well, I heard this. Well, I read this one's website. This person told me this was a contradiction in the Bible. Well, how do you answer that? And what does this verse mean? And I do think there can come a place where, where it's questions without end. And at some point there's faith, but our faith is not an, it's not an, a, a baseless faith. Our faith is not an illogical faith. Our faith is faith, but it's a faith that is based upon that which you can trust. This morning as you leave, I want you to know you can trust His Word. It's inspired. It's incredible. There's no, there's, just from a historical perspective, take spirituality out of it, there is no piece of literature that has been preserved and has, has, has stood the test of time the way that this has. Just from an objective standpoint, it's incredible. It's immune to our doubts. God's word will come to fruition whether we want to admit it or not. It's impactful. It will change your life and your eternity if you'll let it. It's infallible and inerrant. It's inescapable. Every prophecy will be fulfilled. Every promise will be kept. Every statement will be proven true. Here's the question. Will you let it be your ultimate guide for faith and practice? The old children's song. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling down. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rains came down, the floods came up, and the house, the song says, on the rock stood firm. The house on the sand... Went, splat, as that great theological song goes. And here's the truth. We will all build our lives upon a source of truth. You will build your life on you as the source of truth, on a man-made religion or a man-made something, system, on popular culture, on what you see on the news, on what you were taught in school or what you were taught by your parents. We, we will all choose our worldview, if you will. Like Joshua of old, I say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I choose to build my life on the source of truth that has stood the test of time, has stood every culture, has stood every, every, every dictator that's tried to destroy it, has withstood every skeptic and every opponent, and is still changing lives and is still doing work. I believe, yes, because I read about it, and yes, because I hear about it, because, but also because I've lived it, I believe that you can trust His Word. You can build your life upon the rock, Jesus Christ, and it is a firm foundation. So what will you build your life upon? As for Liberty Baptist Church, as long as I am pastor, by God's grace, we will make much of God's word. I'll try not to make much of my opinion and my tradition and my preferences. I'll try to make much of God's word. The preaching of it will be central to the corporate gatherings of our church. We're not going to come together for a one hour worship concert with a few religious self help talks at the end of it. God's word, the primacy of preaching, by God's grace, will remain central. Why? Because it is that which changes things you can trust his word you're skeptical today thank you for coming let's talk really let's let's talk about those things you're doubting today let sarah's story remind you you can trust his word as he had said as he had spoken you're just a little ignorant you just don't know a lot about it dig in join one of our community groups Come on Sunday morning, line up one-on-one discipleship where you can sit down as multiple people in our church do every week for an hour with somebody and walk through and answer your questions. Why? Because you can trust His Word and it is that which will give you all you need for life and godliness. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.